I'm going to break the habit of a lifetime and um, not start straight away. Um, normally it's just straight into the reading and the preaching, but I've got three points before we even start this morning. Yeah, two confessions and one little story before we even start. The first confession is that um, in a series, a couple of series ago, I was given the opportunity to preach. I was given two slots to preach. And um, because of the fact I was so stressed out with what we were, what were involved in, I was so stressed at the time. And then when the subjects came, I looked at the subjects and I thought, I just can't cope with that. And I ducked out of the preaching of those two uh, opportunities that I had. I think Ian took one of them and did a great job of it. And I'm not sure who did the other one. And in the light of the fact of what I'm preaching about this morning, that might seem strange. Uh, but it just happens to be true. So that's my first confession. When, I, when Neil asked me to preach, uh, and this time, and he said, um, it's going to be a series on the fruits of the Spirit. I hope he didn't see my face, because inside I went, oh dear. And then when the email came with me doing the week on peace, I went, oh dear, oh dear. Um, at least I thought, well, it's not self-control. So, I don't know which hidden Chris doing that one, but at least I thought it's not me. So, that's my first confession. My second confession is that um, it's, a, it's a warm morning, isn't it? It's kind of stuffy and everything, but we're going to have to really concentrate this morning. Um, and, I, and I know that some of you are going to find some of what I say this morning challenging. And because I love you, because I care about you, and that's genuine... I'm kind of giving you advance warning that you won't like, possibly, perhaps, maybe, some of what I'm going to say. Now, you might say, well, don't say it then. Right? If you know that's true, if you know you're going to upset us, and we're not going to like, just don't say it. Um, the logic of that is, like, uh, irresistible, isn't it? So that's where the little story comes in. Um, Faith, my granddaughter, was three at the time, and Poppy, her sister... Four, I think, four or five. And bedtime. Um, I love seeing my eldest son struggle to control his children. <laughs> it's better than my favourite TV program. <laughs> I just love it. It's great. That might sound horrible, but again, it's true. Okay, so, <laughs> Alec told me this story of Faith and Poppy. Faith does not call Poppy Poppy, she calls her my sister. That's what she calls her all the time. And it was bedtime, and it was like the third time that Poppy and Faith had got up and tried to come downstairs. It must have been at least the third time. And Alec was just using it, losing it. So he decided he would use his superior intelligence here, his superior logic. And as they both came along the landing, he said to them, what's going on now? What's happening now? And Faith, the spokesperson, said, my sister can't get to sleep. So Alec, using his superior logic, said, well, if your sister can't get to sleep, what are you doing up? And she said, I'm telling you, my sister. <laughs> so sometimes, although things seem logical, now, that, that was irresistible logic, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure she went to bed disappointed and upset, feeling hurt, and the world isn't fair, because her logic was impeccable. The logic of me not saying the things that you might struggle with might seem impeccable, but 
All I ask is that you consider it. Yeah? Some of this, I think, is so clearly taught in the Bible, then there can be no argument. Some bits are what I think. So we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Sort those out and benefit from his word this morning. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can worship you. Thank you for the great songs that we have sung about you. Thank you for the difference you make when you speak into our lives. Will you do that today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The very idea of fruit growing in us is one of the distinctive things about New Testament Christianity. This kind of is what New Testament Christianity is all about. New Testament Christianity is not just one way of living among many that you can choose. That's how many people see Christianity. Uh, I was in Manchester yesterday afternoon. It was bedlam. Yeah, there was, uh, it was the shopping. It was, it was a nightmare. But there was all sorts going on. And there were all sorts of things being offered. You can have religion with bells on, literally with bells on, if that's what you want. And many people view Christianity as another option amongst lots of other viable options. You're not meant to just choose this way of living, having heard about it, and then do your best to put it into practice. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not saying, this, this is good, this is reasonable, this is a nice way of life. I'm going to try my hardest to live like that. Whatever scraps of truth there might be in that, it's not New Testament Christianity. New Testament Christianity is about coming into a living, vital relationship, a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's about once having been dead and then being made alive and that life of Christ coming out from within. That's New Testament Christianity. It's the life of Christ within us. On Wednesday night, um, in one of the groups that I do in prison, a Muslim gentleman came in. Now, sometimes people of other faiths will come in <coughs> deliberately to argue and to disrupt, and, but sometimes they come in just to listen. And this, the man was gracious, he was interested, he was thoughtful. <coughs> Well, it just so happened we were in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, Paul says, you were dead. That's what he says in 1 to 3, which I'll remind us of shortly again. You were dead, but now you have been made alive with Christ. You have risen with Christ, and you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's New Testament Christianity. You are joined to Christ by the Spirit. And as I was just explaining this. For those of you that are Christians, you'll think, you're not telling us anything new, Arthur. I know. I know. But just imagine if you're convinced that religion is about rules and ordering your life in a particular way 
and trying to please God with all your effort and with all your strength. Imagine how it sounds for somebody to say true Christianity is through the Holy Spirit being joined to somebody who died, rose again and ascended to heaven. And it's being part of that. That's what New Testament Christianity is about. The look on his face was a picture. It was a picture. In fact, at one point he went, and so we talked about it together. But that's New Testament Christianity. You can live well, that is well from the view of society, you can live well without being a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to live well, as far as society is concerned. You can be religious. You can certainly be religious without being a Christian. You can live like a Christian without being a Christian. These ideas, these thoughts can float about in our brains. We can find them interesting. We can sing the songs. We can enjoy the social life of the church without this truth touching us in our innermost being, touching us, changing us at the very centre where we choose because of what we desire or because of what we dislike. That's New Testament Christianity. Not me changing my life because I've seen a more interesting way of living. Not me getting involved with a group of people. And because I'm involved with them, I stop doing some things I used to do. And I start doing other things. That might happen, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is God coming by his spirit. And inside, the very things I like and dislike change. New desires, new longings, new hopes, new fears, new passions. That's New Testament Christianity. That's what we need to see. That's what we need God to do again on a big scale. On a big scale. J.I. Packer describes revival. He gives 10 descriptions of what revival is. And the first five, to me, are amazing. Yeah? This, is, this is what happens in revival. You read about it. Can read about revivals in the past. This is what happens. God comes down. Now God is here, but God can come in such a, a powerful way. You can only describe it as God comes down. His word pierces hearts. You don't just listen anymore. You don't just say, oh, that was interesting. You don't just read it and put it down and turn the telly on. His word pierces your heart. That's what happens in revival. Men's sin is made known. That's what happens in revival. Conviction, uneasiness, a sense of uncleanness, a feeling of not being right. And then the cross of Christ is valued. Because of that, the cross of Jesus becomes valued. Yeah? And then change goes deep. That's what he says about revival. Yeah? Change goes deep. Do you know, I, the people I'm involved with at the moment that I love and that I care about, I'm thinking of one in particular, who's often tells me how he's changed since he got involved with us. His life is different since he got involved with us. He stopped doing certain things and he started doing other things. That's good. That's great. Yeah? I am waiting for him to worship. Waiting for him. 
waiting to see a change at the centre of his being that will show itself in a heart that worships. It's the same thing Peter talk, talks about. Um, change of metaphor. He says like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow. Yeah? You don't have to teach a newborn baby to desire milk. You don't have to do that. If you've seen one, and I've seen a few recently, you don't have to do that. You pick them up, and if they're hungry, their mouth goes, their head moves. Yeah, they instinctively. Have you known that instinctive desire to worship, that instinctive desire to hear from God, to be with God's people, to enjoy His fellowship? That's what happens. That's what happens when we really come to know the Lord. When we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what happens to us. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, fruit begins to grow. Fruit. And the one of the aspects is the fruit of the Spirit is peace and God. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is peace. It's such a vast subject. There are, there are great scriptures. Yeah, you're going to be disappointed that I'm not going to mention some of them, I know, because there are great scriptures. In, in um, Numbers, this is what the Lord said to Moses about the priests, the priestly office. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, you listening? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's the way they were to bless them. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Say to them, the Lord be gracious to you. Notice grace comes first. The Lord give you peace. In Romans, Paul says, at the beginning of his letter, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace first, grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And some, somebody already prayed this morning. In Ephesians, Paul says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is that possible in this world today? Can you watch the news at the moment and still know peace? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. I just want to use some simple headings to try and help us through this subject, try and investigate it. And I'm going to be honest with you, this has been my little journey, my little struggle to understand. What does this mean in this context? In the context of the fruit of the Spirit, what does peace mean in this context? So I'm just sharing with you my own struggle to understand. And I do trust that some of it will help and bless you. So the first, the first thing is the meaning of this peace here. Now it's specific because it's the fruit of the Spirit. So you can't know this without the Holy Spirit in you because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a particular temperament. It's not something that results 
from a favourable set of circumstances. It's not that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not that there isn't any peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control of some sort. It's not that there's none of those things of some sort out there in the world without it being the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not that there's none of, a, of a, those things in some sort, but you can't know this without the Holy Spirit. Everything good comes from God. That's what we believe, and I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But not everything that comes from God is the result of his saving activity. As bad as the state of the world is, it would be much worse, and probably it would have ended by now if God hadn't used his restraining power to prevent that from happening. You can read in Genesis 8 and 9, uh, after the flood, that God promises never again to destroy, but to maintain life on the earth. So I believe that the only reason we're still here is because God has promised. I think that we are such twisted and perverted people that the world would have destroyed itself by now if God hadn't said, I promise, I'm going to maintain life on the earth. God promised that. And he did it by a covenant made not just with Noah, but with every living thing. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? God made a covenant with elephants and snakes and lizards. And God made a covenant with every living thing and said, I'm not going to do that again. The earth is not going to be destroyed again. I'm going to maintain life on the earth. And to remind him of that, he put a rainbow in the sky. Yeah? To remind him of his promise, he put a rainbow in the sky. When I was in Sunday school, I was taught, when you see a rainbow, remember God is good. Yeah? That's not, it's not a bad principle. Yeah? It's just it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God put the rainbow there to remind him of his promise to maintain life on earth. The earth. And as the revelation of his purposes unfold, it becomes clear that he's maintaining life on the earth for a particular purpose. His providence and his power is maintaining life and preventing us from destroying ourselves completely because he has a plan that is unfolding. And that plan is to gather together a people, to save people, to build a church, and then to recreate the world for them to live in. To recreate the world the way he always intended it to be. So the spirit is at work in all of the world, in all of society. Restraining, preserving, so that the work of salvation can continue. But not all the work of the spirit is the fruit of the spirit. Does that make a measure of sense? I did say it'd be hard work, didn't I? Did I mention that? Not all the work of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Not all improvement, not all blessings are the result of God's kingdom coming. God in his providence, in his grace, in his mercy, is restraining, is uh, prompting, is, is, uh, is upholding goodness in, in the world in order that this great plan of salvation can progress. And the other thing about the meaning of peace here, it's not just peace in a general sense, it's not just a nice feeling of well-being, because that's not what we need. The first thing that we need isn't even to experience the peace of God. 
That's not the first thing I need. Yeah? The first thing I need is not a nice feeling of the peace of God. The first thing I need is peace with God. That's the first thing I need. I need peace with God. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my first point is that the peace spoken of here is specific. It only comes from the Holy Spirit and it only comes because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this fruit of the Spirit, specific, comes from the Holy Spirit, comes because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the one that gained peace for us. He is the one that brought the possibility of peace into being. Apart from what was done for us by the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no peace with God. There is no peace with God. I agree entirely with what Shirley prayed this morning, that we need to respect, we need to be gracious towards, we need to interact with and talk with every other religion and every other faith. We need to do that. But we also need to remember, and graciously we need to tell them, that there is only peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and because of what he did. It's only because he came, because he lived, because he died, because he rose again, and because he ascended to heaven, that there is any fruit of the Spirit. Because then he gave the Spirit. He poured out the Spirit, having ascended into heaven. And now we can be changed and we can know this fruit. So no cross, no sending of the Spirit, no fruit of the Spirit. And that means for me as an individual, no encounter with Christ and the cross, no spirit in me, no fruit of the spirit in me. However nice and gracious and gentle and self-controlled a person like me might be. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's because, as I mentioned before, without this, we are dead in sins. We are following the way of the world, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3. We are being fooled by the devil. We are disobedient. We are living for ourselves. We are objects of God's wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Do you know there are over 600 references to the wrath of God in the Bible? And Ephesians 2, outside of Christ, we are objects of God's wrath. Now some people, many, many Christians nowadays, only want to speak about if they will entertain the thought of anger and wrath in religion at all, they will, they will say, well, it's on our side. It's us that are mistaken and we're upset with God and we're angry with God. That, that's what it's all about, really. That's the big problem. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is angry with us because of our sin. Outside of Christ, outside of Christ, there is the invitation, there is the offer, there is the loving heart of God waiting to receive us, but we are objects of God's wrath. The wrath of God will be upon us outside of Christ. <laughs> Aren't you angry with the state of the world? Can you watch the news at the moment and not be upset and not get annoyed? Don't you think that God is angry with sin and with the results of sin? And don't you think there's going to be a day when he's going to call people to account 
when the record's going to be put, put straight, that day is coming. In love, God has provided a way of escape. He's provided forgiveness. He's provided a way of finding peace with him. But to achieve that, Jesus had to come and live and stand with us and then stand in our place paying the price. You know this scripture. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Did you know he said that as well? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Outside of him, I faced punishment for my sins. In Christ, the punishment that brought me peace was upon him. So, the meaning of peace from the Holy Spirit through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gaining of peace was Jesus who made it possible. It becomes mine, I acquire it by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So, we, we need to understand the difference here between our standing, our position, and peace as an experience. Yeah? Peace as something I experience. So I come into a position of peace. I come into a position of right standing with God. I might not always feel that. I might not always feel at ease and comfortable. But as a believer, I'm at peace with God. It's the same when Jesus said, blessed are. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Yeah? Many translations say happy. Well, that doesn't mean happy and jolly and feeling great. It means in a blessed, in a happy position. That's what it means as far as standing and position goes. Yeah? So by faith, we come into that position. That's how we acquire peace with God. And then we can actually experience it. We can actually know it. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. We can know it ourselves and experience it ourselves. I'm going to be really quick, but these, these are just some of my thoughts about how we can experience this peace for ourselves. They'll sort of the experience of peace, and I guess that's what we really want to hear about. So because it's the fruit of the Spirit, does that mean that it just grows and develops in me apart from any action or anything I do on my part? Is that what it means? I think the answer to that is no. Once it's there, once God has done something in me, once I have been born again, once the spirit is there and that fruit begins to develop and grow, it has to be nurtured and cared for and prized and treasured. And I think there are certain things that we need if we're going to experience peace in our lives. And the first is, forgive me for smiling, but yet you can't see my nose. <laughs> I don't, know how, I don't know what word to use to describe it, so I'm going to have to use an unusual word. Experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. And by that I mean we need knowledge and information, but knowledge and information that makes a difference. Yeah? That changes us. So it needs to be experiential knowledge. To believe the gospel, first of all, we need to hear it. We need information that we didn't have before, so we need the information... But then we need to believe it. It needs to become active. It needs to change us. We need an experience of it in our hearts and in our lives. And to experience the fruit of the Spirit, 
We need an understanding of the truth. That's why, folks, reading the Bible and listening to Bible teaching and preaching is so crucial. Yeah, that's why. Because we need God's word. We need the information that he has provided for us. And a gift to the church by Jesus is some to be teachers. Now, we don't all have that gift, but we should recognize those who do and use them and pay attention to them. And we need to teach our children. If you've got children, you need to teach them. You need to help them to understand these things. You need to give time to that. Make time, find time. Do something, make it interesting, make it fun. But they need teaching what the Bible has to say. We need to challenge and encourage each other because we should be growing in our knowledge and our understanding of God's word. But of course, as I said, it's not just education. It's spiritual insight and understanding that we need. So we need to pray that these truths, as we learn them and as we reconsider them, will touch us and will move us and will change us. That our interest and our appetite and our passion will grow and will develop. It won't happen, won't happen without God's word, without us doing something about God's word. So we need experiential knowledge if we're going to know the fruit of the spirit, which is peace. And I think too, we need a clear conscience. We need a clear conscience. We're not going to experience peace while we know we are living in ways that do not please God and that are not in line with the gospel. Yeah, we're not going to know the fruit of the Spirit. You can't, you can't have spiritual experience. Well, you can actually. You can have spiritual experiences and then do just about everything. Because people do. It happens. Churches are torn apart. Torn apart by people who've had amazing spiritual experience and then done the most unbelievable, unbelievable things. So you can, you can do both, but you know what I mean. We need a clear conscience. Do you know what Paul said when he was leaving the Ephesians? He's saying goodbye to the Ephesians. His first phrase kills me. This is the first thing he said to them, yeah? You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. That's the first thing he said to them. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. If I was leaving today, I would probably be saying, it's really nice to know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of using a phrase like that. Yeah. Are you with me though? How challenging that is. How challenging that is. To the Corinthians he said, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that come from God. That's what Paul said. And to Timothy... He said this. He said to Timothy, he didn't tell Timothy just hold on to the faith. He didn't just say that. He didn't just say, watch your doctrine, watch your teaching, make sure you know the Bible. He didn't just say that. He said to Timothy, fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. <laughs> Timothy, you're going to need to hold on to your faith, but you're going to need a good conscience as well. One of one of the, one of the uh, writers I'm reading at the moment, forgive the language, it's old-fashioned, but speaking of an upright person, speaking of a person who, who is living right, this is what he says. Though it be not the original spring, 
Speaking of the conscience, this is what he says, yeah. Though it be not the original spring, yet it is the conduit at which he drinks peace, joy, and encouragement. Yeah. So this guy says, the person who's living right, the person who's living a life in line with the gospel, not perfect, but in line with the gospel, forgiven and being forgiven constantly, that's what I'm talking about here, yeah? Will live with a clear conscience and they will drink that. That's where they will drink their peace and encouragement via their conscience, yeah? Not just in some mystical faith, spiritual experience, yeah? Because their conscience, that's how, that's how God deals with us. He doesn't bypass our minds and our lives and our hearts. He comes through those things, through the, through the power of his word and through the power of his spirit. So though these things are the fruit of the spirit, yet it's God's plan and purpose that they come to us in this way. And again, that's why we need to understand and believe and stand on the gospel and constantly remind ourselves of it. Otherwise, how would I ever deal with my conscience? How would I live with myself if I didn't really believe the gospel and hold on to it? Do I know that I'm accepted in Christ? That's how I'm accepted. Do I know that when I still fail, I can be forgiven? Do I know that I can get up and start again as long as I'm going in the right direction when I've fallen? And am I treating others in the same way and giving them the same grace? I need a clear conscience if I'm going to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. And I need deliberate action as well. I need knowledge that brings experience, a clear conscience and deliberate action. I don't expect to eat, stay clean and reasonably well without doing something about it. If I'm honest, I do expect to be wear clean clothes without doing a thing. I know that's terrible. I know it's shocking. But it's the truth. But you're with me, aren't you? Yeah? We don't do it. We don't stay clean. We don't keep healthy. We don't live normal lives and think we can do it without some action. Then why do we think? That we can know the fruit of the Spirit when we give these things no thought from one week to the next. It's not going to happen, folks, is it? There's never been a time when there are so many helps to spiritual growth. So many books, so many CDs, so many internet sermons, so many talks and movies and songs and meetings of every kind. And all of those things are good, but we're all so busy, aren't we? You're busy. Aren't you? You're really, really busy. Yeah. In fact, the next time you're going to be able to think about these things is next Sunday morning, isn't it? Because you are so busy. Did you used to read the Bible regularly? Did you used to pray with some kind of organisation and some kind of plan and with some kind of consistency? Did you used to read good books? Did you used to meet with a friend to encourage each other? Did you used to listen to good things on the radio or in some other way? Let me tell you a spiritual secret to success in the Christian life. It's a really great secret of success in the Christian life. Start again. Start again. That's what you need to do. That's what you will often have to do. And there's an enemy who will tell you there's no point. No point in starting again. You've left it too long now. You've messed up. There's absolutely no point in starting again. And you didn't get much out of it when you're doing it anyway. So why start again? And actually, if you start again, you don't even stop again. There's an enemy. This, folks, is spiritual warfare. The devil is not somebody who goes around with a pitchfork prodding people. 
is somebody who used insinuation. Is somebody who used what seems like reasonable thoughts and reasonable ideas to stop you doing what will bless you, what will bring you closer to God and what will help the fruit of the Spirit to grow in your life. So we need deliberate action. And lastly, we need determined trust. Determined trust. Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Yeah. Another scripture that I find incredibly challenging. But you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Some of us find this harder than others. But in the end, it comes down to this. This is what it comes down to. Am I going to believe my doubts and my fears or am I going to trust his word and his promise? It comes down to that. Yeah. Am I going to believe God's word or am I going to uh, live off my fears and my doubts? Am I going to put the worst possible construction on the things that are going on in my life? And I know there are people in church that are facing incredibly difficult things. But am I going to put the worst possible construction on that? Or am I going to believe the one who says, whatever happens, I will work it out for your good. The very least we can say about any situation, the very least we can say are these things, these four things. He knows. He cares. He has the power to deal with it. He is in control. Even if the outcome is not the one you want, yeah, these are the things. He knows. He cares. He has the power to deal with it. He is in control. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. The peace that comes from the Spirit, the peace that is the fruit of the Spirit. We need, we need the Holy Spirit in us, but there are things for us to do. We need knowledge that becomes an experience in our lives, a clear conscience Deliberate action. We need to trust. And then we need to share it, don't we? We need to share it. What a world we live in. What a world we live in. What lives we all lead at times. What messed up people we either are, have been, or have the potential to become at any moment. That's true of us all. What messed up people we have the potential to become. But we know the answer. Shouldn't we be sharing it? Shouldn't we be sharing it? Shouldn't we be telling people, there is peace. There is peace. Peace with God. Peace to experience. We can know the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. In some traditions, they pause, especially before communion, don't they? And they offer each other a sign of peace. I know when you do things formally, it becomes formality, and it's difficult to maintain any sort of life in it but what a good thing to do to offer each other a sign of peace to say peace be with you and to really mean it